we began a few weeks ago looking at some of the Old Testament uh, prophecies about Christ and His birth. We began reading verses in Isaiah that say, For unto us a child is given. We're happy to, to discuss that. Then we talked about the virgin birth and its importance. We talked about the root of Jesse and how that's vitally important to understand the lineage that Christ would come through. And Jesse being, of course, David's father and all the promises that are given to David that he would sit on a throne forever. And, of course, we know that that wasn't directly to David, but to his offspring, which would be, of course, Jesus Christ. We talked about Bethlehem and a little bit about that city and some of how it played uh, different roles in the Old Testament and in biblical times. But really, it was of no actual importance but Christ chose to use it in His infinite wisdom. And I made the application that we are generally of no importance either, but Christ has still chosen us to send His Son to die for us. And today I want to talk about Emmanuel and what that word means and how that is applied to us today. Of course, this was somewhat difficult to choose, and as I began to study for this over the last several weeks and months, it was hard to know where to start and where to stop. Because every thing in the Old Testament that's talked about Christ's coming, and there's more than what I've uh, preached on, is just so full of meaning and symbolism and, and reality that it's, it's hard to know really, as I said, where, where to stop. But I want to read today in Isaiah seven fourteen. I believe we've already have read these verses maybe several times. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the fulfillment of that prophecy is specifically mentioned in Matthew. Well, I can find my way to Matthew. There we are. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so we see both the opening and closing of this prophecy that is fulfilled. We see this as recorded in Matthew. If you recall, Matthew really focused on the Old Testament. Matthew, being a Jew, was speaking to Jews and wanting to demonstrate through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit who guided him to write these things, just how Jesus Christ fulfilled and was the actual Messiah that they had been waiting for for so long. So he was very quick and very eager to point out the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. In fact, Matthew quotes more Old Testament than any other gospel, and I believe maybe any other book in the New Testament, trying to make sure that we understand how these things are connected, that these are not two disjointed narratives. They are simply one narrative. The Old and the New Testament are one. So this sometimes brings up some confusion. Was Jesus named correctly? I don't know, maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've ever wondered this before, because the Bible says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, but his name was Jesus. Let's talk about that for just a minute, as we've done with so many of these last few weeks, kind of setting the stage for the, the main point this morning. What we know is, in fact, there are many, many names for Jesus. Many, many names. And again, this was hard to know where to stop uh, with this as well, but let's just hit a few of the highlights. So Isaiah 9 and 6, which we read a few weeks ago, says, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. 
These are descriptions of who and what he is, and not necessarily the actual name that we would call him. Okay? Other examples of this are also found in Luke. Luke one thirty two. Uh, this is an angel speaking. It said, and He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And later on in that chapter, he says, He shall be called the Son of God. And so all these things are names and titles and descriptions of Jesus Christ. They're all true and reflect the very essence of who and what He is. But they're not names in the traditional sense of what is my first name, if you will. Jeremiah 23 and 5 uh, talks about the Messiah. It says, And this shall be the name by which He shall be called, The Lord is our righteousness. And so again, I just want to make sure we understand that because Jesus Christ wasn't physically named Emmanuel doesn't make the scripture null and void any more than he wasn't named righteousness or he wasn't named wonderful counselor or he wasn't named prince of peace. These are all things that we can call him and are a reflection of who and what he is, but we're not necessarily his given name. And so when the scriptures are saying here, when the angel and when the prophet is saying they shall call him Emmanuel, they are basically saying he shall be called or known as God with us. God with us. Now, something else that we should point out real briefly, and I remember maybe it was last year or the year before around Christmas time, I think, Emily came to me in a tizzy. Wanting to know if the proper spelling of Emmanuel was with an I or an E. You remember that? And I said, well, I don't, I don't know. So I did a little digging this Sunday, this Christmas, and found the answer to that, in case anyone's curious. Because in the Old Testament, you'll see it spelled with an I, and in the New Testament, often with an E. As these two different words will know, in fact, they're the same word. The uh, one is um, Emmanuel is uh, the Hebrew translation, and the Greek translated it with an I. So this is the same word. This is no different. So again, don't let anyone fool you saying, well, Jesus wasn't ever named that. And look, it's two different names. So how could it possibly be true? In fact, it is one name meaning the same thing spelled two different ways due to the translation issues. Also, something else I didn't realize until I began to study is that Emmanuel is a masculine word. And yes, that does have importance in today's society. God or God with us or God is with us is what that means. So think about that just for a minute. God with us, or God is with us. It's a very intriguing and challenging idea that we have in our faith, that God would become like one of us and live as one of us. God with us. Now, I try not to compare other religions because as far as I understand them, all other religions are false, okay? But understand that this is a very unique way to think about how God comes to us. It seems to be unique among most other, again, air quote, religions and faiths that we have around the world. God is not this far off being who cannot be touched or understood or seen or observed. In fact, no, God has been with us in physical form. And we need to let that rest and resonate with us sometimes. Again, we need to remember that God is with us and Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy because he's literally God with us. And when we think about what that means, what does it mean that God is with us? What does that mean that he became like one of us? What does that mean that God walked among us? The more we begin to think about it, the more it's very, very hard to understand. 
How do we comprehend this? How do we put this into place? How, do, how are we to think about how this actually happened? You know, we just sang a hymn that said, no crying he made. Again, I'm going to go out here on a limb. I'd say I seriously doubt that. I'm sure Jesus cried. Doesn't mean he was imperfect. We have these interesting difficulty trying to understand Jesus and understand how he could be fully God and fully man at the same time. How he navigated through life. But the Bible clearly tells us that he was fully God and fully man. And in reality, to some degree, this is what the scripture says, a great mystery. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. It's a mystery. We do not understand exactly how it happens. We probably never will, this side of glory, understand exactly how it happens. But the reality is, it is a mystery. And it is, as I quoted earlier, the last couple Sundays, it is marvelous in our sight. It is amazing to us, and we should marvel at the mystery. doesn't mean we shouldn't try to understand it, but we should, underst- we should, we should understand, let me rephrase that, We should understand there comes a point when our understanding goes only so far and we simply sit back and marvel at the mystery that is Jesus Christ. I think that is scriptural. I think that is appropriate. And I think it is warranted. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. You know, this is one of the things that's talked about later in different parts of the New Testament, some of the letters from the epistles. We see this discussion of there being a mystery, specifically among uh, those who lead the church. This should be this mystery should be something that we consider. I don't have all the answers to you. I can't fully explain to satisfy you how God became a man and lived among us. But I can tell you that it is a mystery. It is beautiful. I can show you some things about it and let the Lord reveal it to you more than I can. We know in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has been with us. He has been the Emmanuel. In fact, Jesus, when he was here on earth, walked and talked with his disciples, with his family, with his friends, with his enemies, with his neighbors, with those he worked with, just like God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever wonder, do people who were around him have any idea? Did you just somehow know there's something different about this person? But God walked with us. What's interesting is this isn't just like a a partial revelation. It seems to be that that Jesus Christ was, again, fully God and fully man. He was not 50% one and 50% the other or something like that. Colossians 2, 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. All of it. All of it. The, the entire fullness of God, the God that made the world, the God that made time, the God that made everything, lived and came inside of a living, human, breathing body who walked on this earth. John 14, 9 through 10 says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father 
living in me who is doing this work. And so again, we see this idea that Jesus Christ himself is saying that God is dwelling in him, living in him, that he is in fact God, that he is doing what the Father tells him to do, that he is being obedient. And if you have seen the physical Jesus Christ, then you have seen what? God. So just as a quick aside, I keep saying this, but it seems to be more and more pressing and more and more important in our culture. Do not let anyone tell you that Jesus was just a good man. Do not let anyone tell you that he was only a good teacher. Jesus Christ himself proclaimed to be God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, as in you have seen God. Would a good teacher lie to you and say something about that wasn't true like that? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ himself claimed to be the deity. He claimed to be God. Let us never, ever forget that. And let us make sure that we defend that with all passion and vigor that we can, because it is important and it is true. We can continue reading and read Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Give us some more information here. It says, Who, being in the form of God, it's talking about Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death that is of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and of things in earth and of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see here again, written in very clear form, what we see here is that Jesus Christ humbled himself and took on the form of me and took on the form of you and lived and walked among us and became obedient to what? His father and to the limits of his body, unless the father said otherwise. In fact, he became obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus Christ was born like one of us, took on our flesh for a purpose, to die for us. And we've talked about this already. He had to be the sacrifice. He had to be holy God and holy man so that he could be the one sacrifice that would satisfy the wrath of an almighty God because of our sins. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. Of course, the other famous verse I quote quite frequently, Hebrews 4, 15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This should be one of the more comforting verses that we have as believers. No matter the time of need that we have, whether it's a great need or little need, it doesn't matter. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can approach the throne of grace. That is where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We can approach that in prayer, asking for help, asking for what we need, speaking freely to him. Why? Because he knows what it's like to be one of us. Maybe some of you are sad this Christmas season. Maybe it reminds you of the loss of a loved one. 
Jesus never lost anybody? We know he did. We know he wept over his friend Lazarus. We know that Jesus Christ went through that. Do you think that Jesus Christ never had a family member who was sick? What about the ones that he didn't heal or the ones that he did? What about the ones that he healed and then they turned their back on him? You see, the reality is you can take almost any situation that you will ever experience in your life. Let me rephrase that. You can take every situation you will ever experience in your life and you can be trusted and assured that Jesus Christ in his 33 years experienced enough similar that he has compassion for us. That he wants to help us, that he wants to encourage us, that he wants to lift us up, that he wants us to do the will of his father just like he did. And so when we have difficult times, or even when we have good times, we can go to him at his throne and he will rejoice with us, he will weep with us, he will encourage us because he knows, because he was one of us. He is Emmanuel. I want to shift gears just slightly for just a second. We've been talking about who and what Jesus is. I made it very clear that he wasn't physically named Emmanuel, but Emmanuel, as in God with us, is something that he was. You could say it was his identity. And boy, are we really excited in our current culture about identities, aren't we? Man. Let me just go again off for just a second here. You know, our our identities, who we are, who we are perceived to be, is a social thing. We develop who we are. We interact with people. They see us for who we are. And there's, to some degree, an identity that is set up. You could say certain things about me that would help you know who I am and vice versa. This is true for all of us. We all negotiate, if you will, our identity. It's not something we can claim or put on other people. That makes sense? can't just make you say you believe in a certain thing that I am. This is a role. This is something that we do socially. This is both true and untrue of Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain. Jesus Christ was known as God, was known as Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because of the things that he did. You could not look at that man and honestly say to yourself, he is not who he claims to be. And those who did, if you go in back and look at the, um, the religious elites of the time, the rulers, this is why Jesus Christ was so angry with them and would say such horrible things to them because they should have known above all people who he was. And when they denied who he was, they were doing what? They were bold face lying to other people and to themselves. That's why they were whitewashed tombs. That's why they were full of dead bones. That's why they were um, uh, snakes and vipers. And Jesus called them all of these things because they knew who he was and yet denied it anyway. And so we look at how people treated him and we realize that his goodness and his grace and his glory and his love and the way that he healed people, the way that he talked with people, everything about him made it very obvious to people who in fact he was. That's why, again, going back, they ran after him and called him son of David, emphasizing that he was the Messiah. It's what made the rulers so angry. We talked about that a few weeks ago. 
And so we see that everything that Jesus did, everywhere that he went, people knew who he was, or they boldface lied and denied, in fact, who he was based on how he lived. But here's the other side of that coin. Unlike us, unlike the identity that I have, which is based on your perceptions of me, regardless of how we identify him, he's still God. See, he's the only one that gets to say that because he's God. He is God with us. End of story. He can proclaim that to be. Why? Because he has the power of God. Because he, in fact, is God. And whatever he does is right and good. Whether I think it or not, it doesn't change the fact of who and what Jesus Christ is. He stands forever for who he is. He is God regardless of what we think of him. And the world today can go crazy and think, well, Jesus Christ was a teacher or he never existed or he was a, a good person, or he's a made-up story. But regardless of what people think about him, he is, in fact, God. Turn with me to Matthew for a moment. Chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to read a few verses here. Near the very end of his time on earth, this is an account of what occurred. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Regardless of what you think about Jesus Christ, regardless of how you conceptualize him, regardless of how much or how little you think about him. The reality is, at some point in our lives, we will all have to answer this question. Who do you say that I am? At some point, we're all called to account, and we must answer this question honestly and with faith and with sincerity and say, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? When you got up this morning and said Merry Christmas to someone else, when you thought about it being Christmas, who is this that's lying in the manger? Whose birth are you celebrating today? In a few months, whose death will you celebrate at Easter time? Who will you be thinking about every day, hopefully all throughout the next year? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? It is the most fundamental and important question that we will ever be asked and trust me, we will all be asked. And regardless of what your answer is on this side of eternity, you will bow before him on the other. Whether willingly or unwillingly. Because at his name, every knee bows. At some point, everyone has to answer. 
The answer is He is God incarnate. The answer is He is God in human flesh. The answer is that He is the Holy One who was sent to earth for around 33 years to walk and live like us, to perform miracles and testify to who He was, to be our sacrifice, to die, to be buried, to be resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. That is who Jesus Christ is. That is God Emmanuel with us. In the Old Testament... The Hebrews were commanded to build a tabernacle, and that was where the presence of God was. And sometimes God would come down in mighty form and mighty power and fill that place. We've talked about that. And they would move that tent around as they traveled around, and it was always in the camp, and everyone could see it. And then they built a a, a temple in Jerusalem to house God, and God would fill the place from time to time. But now under the new covenant, when Christ came into this world, he is now God with us. Not merely a symbol, not a building or a structure that we keep him, but actually with us. And here's the even better news. You see, we could go on and on and talk about how God was with us, and he was. We could talk about the Emmanuel and Jesus Christ living And you can say to me, well, he only lived about 33 years. And I say, well, you're about right. Then he died. Where is he at now? The scriptures say he's seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. But there's good news. John 14, 16, Christ himself said, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You see, there was a limited amount of time that Jesus Christ was in this world as God. A limited amount of time. I never heard his words directly, did you? I never saw him directly, did you? Now, the people who wrote this book, who testified to this truth, they saw it and even said as much when they introduced their letters. Someone who saw him, someone who was with him, someone who physically experienced. And they testified that they know the truth because they were there. They were apostles. But I wasn't there. So is God still with us? Is he with us today? Well, God is with us. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, and he sent the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Godhead, to be here with us. And the beautiful part of this is, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in him, if you have been saved, then God is not only here with us, he is in us. And that's even better. Because you see, no matter where Jesus was, only so many people could physically hear him. Oh, he'd push back out on a boat so he could address people and they could hear better. But there's only so many that could hear him. There's only so many that got healed. And you think about all the time and all the people in history, there's only thousands of people probably who got to meet him or touch him or hear him. But he was still God with us. But the beauty is that after his sacrifice once and for all, and he's seated at the right hand of God, he sends the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Godhead, who not only is here, but gets to live in us. 2 Corinthians 6.16 And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
See, the reality is, it's not just that God lived at one point on this earth, but that God is still here in the form of the Holy Spirit and that God lives inside of us if we love him and are called according to his purpose. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are recipients of the Holy Spirit. And as beautiful as it is to think about God being with us, to think about God, Emmanuel, to go back and wonder, well, wouldn't it have been fascinating to listen? Who would want to be there? Who would want to be here when he raises someone from the dead? Who would want to be there to see the lepers healed? Who would want to be there to hear their sermon on the mount in person? Who would want to be there to see him uh, clean the temple? Who would want to be here on the night that he was born and to, to be able to fall on your knees with the angels and with the shepherds and everyone to worship Jesus Christ in person? But the reality is he was in the earth for a limited amount of time. He is seated at the right hand of God. And if you know him, then the spirit of God lives inside of you forever. You're sealed with the spirit until the day of redemption and we get to be caught up in the air with him. Isn't it better? Oh, as glorious as it is to have God, Emmanuel, to have God with us, it is so much better for those of us who've been saved to say that not only is God with me, but God is in me. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so we ask the question today, who do you say that he is? I've described to you how he was born unto us. He's a gift to us. I've explained the importance of him being born of a virgin, that he would escape the blood sin curse that's passed from man to child to man to child and so on all through time from Adam till the end. I've explained how he is the root of Jesse, that he comes out of David's line and fulfills on both sides of his parents, both his mother and his stepdad. The natural succession that's going to come to a king who will sit forever on the throne I've explained how he was born in Bethlehem, that all the scriptures in the Old Testament pointed toward this little town of no account that God used to fulfill his purpose, just like he wants to take you to fulfill his purpose in you. And I've explained how he lived in this world as Emmanuel, both fully God and fully man, that he came, that he lived this life, that he died for us. And the reality is that when we love him, when we have been saved, at the moment that we confess our sins and believe in faith and our lives are changed, the spirit of God no longer is Emmanuel with us, but in us. That the spirit of God lives inside of you. That is the beauty of Christmas. That is what we celebrate today. It is much deeper than just a little baby was born and lived 33 years. It's deep enough to say that that little baby was fully God, fully man, that he died for us, that he's seated at the right hand of God, conquering all sin, but that now God lives in me. And so when I'm asked, who do you say that I am? I can say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me forevermore because I have been forgiven, because I have been redeemed, because of what Jesus Christ did while he was on earth. So yes, he was God with us. And yes, 
He wants to be God in us, to lead and guide and direct us. And so my challenge to you today, as I seem to leave off with challenges, maybe you don't know him. Maybe he isn't God in you yet. Will you let him in? Will you let him come in? Because he's a gentleman. He doesn't force his way in. He'll call you. He'll tell you. If you're listening, he'll whisper to you. He'll remind you of all the things that you've done that are wrong. He'll teach you. He'll show you that you need to be saved, that you need to, be, uh, that you need to repent for what you've done. He will show you that you need to put your faith and your trust in him. But ultimately, it comes down to you and whether or not you will do those things to actually know him for who he is. I can tell you today that I have confidence that God is in me. He's in me. Is he in you? Because if he is, Christmas is a lot more meaningful. Because we're not only celebrating that God was with us, but that God is in us. So let's sing a hymn this morning. A time to consider those of us, what the Lord has done for us so we can leave rejoicing. And those of us who've never been saved, who can't say that God is in us, let us ask that question. Who do you say that he is? Because how you answer that dictates whether God is in you or not.